Welcome to Alive with Jesus. The two most important issues for you and everyone is whether you are alive or not and whether you are with Jesus or without Jesus. Alive with Jesus is focused on growing your faith by knowing truth with certainty, building on a solid foundation of God's word that gives you fulfillment and passion on purpose. Our verse is 1 Thessalonians 5.10, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Join us as we build on a solid foundation so that every day from now through eternity, we are truly alive with Jesus. Let's pray. God, thanks for another opportunity to look into your word, to study your word and learn about you. We ask that only your words come out and that we get out of the way and let your word speak and that it be a blessing to those that hear it. We ask this in your name. Amen. Question. Have you had your Josiah moment? And maybe I guess I shouldn't assume that everyone knows who Josiah is. So I guess we should probably start with what is the Josiah moment? And this comes from Second Kings chapter 22, and we're going to start at verse 8. And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. Which I guess I should have backed up on this to get the whole context. They they went to... Okay, we'll just go back to verse 4. Go up to Elkiah the high priest, that he may sum the silver which brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered the people. Let them deliver it unto the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord to repair the breaches of the house, and the carpenters and builders and masons to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house, albeit there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into their hand because they dealt faithfully. So there's this this house of the Lord and they're doing work on it and it's it's there. It's not like they were traveling through the desert and found this remote, obscure place that nobody had ever seen and found this book. They were working on the house of the Lord. It was there. And now we'll start with verse eight again. And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. So surprise, surprise, the book, God's word was there. It was in the house of the Lord, but nobody was reading it. It, it was, it was right there. It wasn't lost somewhere or hidden and nobody could find it. Nobody had any, they weren't even looking for it. It wasn't even a, they were more worried about the carpenters and the builders and the money and all of that than book of the law, which is right there. So we'll continue verse nine. As Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it unto the hand of them that do the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book and Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes and the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Akbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the scribe and Asahiah, a servant of the king's, saying, Go ye, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the love of the Lord. Oh, sorry, I read that wrong. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according unto all that which is written concerning us. So right there, he heard it. And he was immediately affected by it and wanted to take action. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan and Asahiah went into Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she dwelt in Jerusalem in the college, not this, not a university. That's a different meaning here. 
And they communed with her, and she said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man that sent you to me, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place, and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah hath read, because they have forsaken me, and have burned incense unto other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be kindled against this place, and shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall ye say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes, and wept before me, I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace, and then I shall not see all the evil which I shall bring upon this place. And they brought the king word again. The The response of Josiah here was repentant, was humbled, was, he was, says he was crying and wept when he heard that they had gone against God. That is the right response when we hear God's word. First of all, we have to read God's word, but just ponder for a moment. How is God's word received by people today? If you, if you read this, if the same thing happened today and someone ha just happened to pick up a Bible and read it, how many people respond with weeping and repentance and sackcloth and fasting versus, oh, that's judgmental. Oh, that's just, but God is love. He's not going to hurt us. Oh, you're just the, the different ways you can respond to hearing God's word. It made a difference, at least for Josiah. It didn't change the punishment for the rest of the kingdom and maybe they weren't even repentant, but it made a difference to God. So that is, if I could define it, I guess, that's the Josiah moment. When you find out that you have sinned against a holy God, how do you respond? And think back to Adam and Eve. I didn't, didn't call this the Adam moment because Adam's response was, she did it. And Eve's response was, the serpent did it. There was no repentance. There was no weeping. There was no, I'm sorry, God. I know you told us not to eat of that. And we shouldn't have really sorry. You don't have that at all with Adam and Eve. It's just pushing the blame on someone else. But Josiah believed what was, there's nothing in there about, well, that was the culture of the day. I mean, that book's pretty old. This is. This is, I mean, where's Moses now? That was a long time ago. So the culture's different now. We need to update that book you found in the house of the Lord. Is none of that. He believed it, that it was from God. That is the Josiah moment. So you were talking about that. I was thinking just people discovering the Bible today, but also all these people that are trying to find they want the lost books or, you know, these other apocryphal books or the ones that aren't listed in the Bible. And it's like, do they even know who JL is or Deborah or Jephthah so that here they have access to it? Just like you said, it's always been there, but nobody ser searched it. So now they have it, but they want something else instead of what they've got or, or reading what they've got. Yeah, always something new. What's the new thing? And we haven't even applied what's there. And that reminded me of another thing in Deuteronomy 17, starting at verse 18, says, And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests and Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes, to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandments to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may 
prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So here's a king, and in the law, he was supposed to write, hand write his own copy. So I wonder whose copy Josiah got. Was it David's? Was it whose whose handwritten copy was it? And notice it didn't say, well, I found an earlier manuscript than this one that was in this house of the Lord. We, we got to, I don't believe that that was inspired because I don't, there's none of that. He read it. He believed it. He should have been writing it himself, but he didn't. And when you were mentioning that, Steve, the, I think we've talked about this before, where you see people in other countries when a, a box of Bibles are brought in where they have to share them or what, what was the one that the, the chain that was chained? Was that the great Bible? Yes. The great Bible is also known as the chain Bible because they had to chain it to the pulpit. Otherwise it would be stolen. Not necessarily for nefarious purposes, but possibly if they didn't want people to read it, but the, the response of some countries that don't have a Bible, a personal Bible, one of their own, is amazing to watch. I've ever seen that on YouTube. They're just weeping and and so grateful and thankful. And yet we have how many on our shelves collecting how much dust? Well, another interesting fact, the number one book that's stolen in the world is the Bible. The Gideon's Bible is stolen out of hotel rooms all the time. So it's like you said, not necessarily for nefarious reasons, but yeah, those videos are heartbreaking. The, the when they get their own copy or a copy that they can read for themselves, it's it's a very emotional response, and we don't have any of that here anymore. Yeah, it's more time is spent correcting it or changing. Yeah, it doesn't say. It. Yeah, but but it's just instead of this is God's word that He gave to us. It's help our unbelief. All right. Jonah two, chapter two, then Jonah prayed unto the Lord, his God out of the fish's belly. So here's, here's Jonah's Josiah moment and said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me out of the belly of hell cried. I, and thou heardest my voice for thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the sea and the floods compassed me about all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about even to the soul. The depths closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottom of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon dry land. So Jonah was kind of, he, it kind of hit rock bottom. Well, he said it was at the bottoms of the mountains. So yeah, it was rock bottom. And that's typically when people cry out to God and the pattern we see all throughout the Old Testament. I haven't flagged them all, but it's just over and over and over again. I think we're, yeah, we're going to touch on one of them coming up. But when Jonah hit rock bottom, he cried out to God. I, I don't know that any of us have been quite that low in the belly of the whale. There's what hope do you have at this point when you're in the belly of a whale? But he cried out to God, I'm going to do what you ask. I'm going to do what you say. Well, let's go to chapter three and see another Josiah moment. And the word of the Lord, this is in Jonah. This is after he came out. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. 
and he caused it to pro be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And here it's not saying God repenting of sin. The repentance can mean just turning and doing something different. So that's the the response that the king of Nineveh had. And he called a fast for the entire country, even for animals. I mean, but what about separation of church and state? We shouldn't have that because it's, well, when you hit rock bottom and you're about to be overthrown in 40 days, that was the right response. And it's interesting that fasting is mentioned in many of these Josiah moments that that we hear about. And Steve, you just did a fasting one on your what's in your Bible one, right? Yeah, there's actually four verses that the word fasting has been removed in the New Testament. And, and most of the times it is in direct correlation with something that Jesus is referring to. Like in one instance, it's the disciples could not cast out a demon or a devil, and they came to Jesus and said, why couldn't we cast this out? And, and Jesus said, well, this one takes much prayer and fasting. That was Matthew 17, 21, I think it is. And then Mark 9, 29, and First Corinthians 7, 5, and then Acts 10. I'm getting ready to work on that one. There's one in Acts 10, but in the, in those, it's well, the first Corinthians was if you don't defraud your spouse and except for a time or a period set where you are going to pray and fast, and so there's there's a spiritual warfare that God has given us tools, and, and within that is fasting, and it's really interesting. That, you know if. If fasting was removed once, it's like, okay, maybe they accidentally omitted it or skipped over it when they were copying over. But then a second time, in the same type of instance, it's removed, and that's like, hmm, that's interesting. And then a third time, you're like, okay, now now there's there's something going on. Why would that be done? But then four times? All right, now there's definitely something there that's, why do they want to get rid of fasting? And it's like, well, in, in each one of those instances, it is in reference to spiritual warfare. You've got something that is really that the Lord has laid on your heart. There needs to be something just a little more than prayer. So when you add fasting to it, it's like getting the attention to of God saying, hey, I'm serious about this. I need you to listen. No, well, I don't want to say that. It's just near and dear to my heart. And if you're going to give up a meal— to petition to God, it becomes a serious thing. Yeah, I think it shows the level of desire or desperation or seriousness. It's not like, hey, I'd like, I'd like, uh, I, I like to buy that. Can I get some mashed potatoes? It'd be nice if I could have some mashed potatoes. It's not. I mean, this is. They're not eating or drinking anything. I'm not saying this is how you should fast, and we should probably do a whole podcast on fasting. But it, the the level of desperation where they're not cooking a meal or cleaning up after a meal, they're not eating a meal or having fellowship. This is one-on-one, all out in front of the throne, petitioning God. That's serious. Well, in in our own lives, if there's a death or a funeral or some serious thing that's coming up, a lot of times we aren't. We won't eat at all. And it's that type of intensity that it's like you're going to God and say, look, I can't eat. I need to get right. I need to seek God's face. And it's like, I don't care about food. I don't care about anything else. All I want to do is seek your face, God, and and petition to you for these things. And they take that power away when 
I mean, fasting is, it's just not talked about hardly at all, which I guess is why we need to need to do one. But this is on the Josiah moment, but we'll see that so far fasting has been a big part of their, when they are petitioning God, it's that serious. Fasting is a big part of it. All right. The next Josiah moment is in Nehemiah chapter nine, and we're going to start at verse one. Now, in the 20 and fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloth and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord, their God, one fourth part of the day and another fourth part they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. So six hours they read the Bible and six hours they repented and worshiped. When when was the last time we did that? It's it's what uh, we get like what six seconds of prayer. What is it the gift gift is that one thing of he, he says as everybody say, you know, their common prayer that they say for every day or before a meal or something and he times it and he lasts like 20 seconds or something you know sweet 20 seconds of prayer sweet 23 seconds of prayer this is six hours of bible reading six hours of repentance and they're fasting this this is a in reaction to hearing the word so we're going to jump down to verse 24 so the children went in and possessed the land and, and he's, he's giving a, a recount, I'm not going to read all of those, but he's then talks about the children of Israel going into the land, uh, the promised land. So the children went in and possessed the land and subdued it before them, the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave us them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they took strong cities and a fat land and possessed houses full of all goods, wells, digged vineyards and olive yards and fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee and cast thy law behind their backs and slew thy prophets, which testified against them to turn them to thee. And they wrought great provocations. Therefore, thou deliverest them into the hand of their enemies who vexed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven. And according to thy manifold mercies, thou gavest them saviors who saved them out of the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before thee. Therefore, leftest thou them in the hand of their enemies so that they had the dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven and many times didst thou deliver them according to thy mercies and testified against them that thou mightest bring them again unto thy law. Yet they dealt proudly and hearkened not unto thy commandments, but sinned against thy judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them and withdrew the shoulder and hardened their neck and would not hear. Yet many years didst thou forbear them and testifiest against them by thy spirit in thy prophets Yet would they not give ear, therefore gavest thou them into the hands of the people of the land. Nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them. For thou art a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the terrible God, who keepest covenant and mercy, let not all the trouble seem little before thee that hath come upon us, on our kings, on our princes, and on our priests, and on our prophets, and on our fathers and on all thy people since the time of the kings of Assyria unto this day. Howbeit thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. Now, I, I got to stop there. I mean, it's there's a lot in here, but do you see the difference in how the response is to hearing about God and his law, what he wants instead of what we want? It's people want to blame God. Why did God do this to me? God should have done this. God God should have done this. He should have done this. I'm good. I'm I'm a good person. 
And yet this response here is, thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. Neither have our kings, our princes, our priests, nor our fathers kept thy law, nor hearkened unto thy commandments and thy testimonies wherewith thou didst testify against them. For they have not served thee in their kingdom and thy great goodness that thou gavest them and in the large and fat land which thou gavest before them, neither turned they from their wicked works. Behold, we are servants this day and for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof. Behold, we are servants in it and it yieldeth much increase unto the kings whom thou hast set over us because of our sins. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and over our cattle at their pleasure and we are in great distress and because of all this we make a sure covenant and write it and our princes levites and priests seal unto it i wanted to read to that last verse there because we got this pattern here he he goes over over and over again they get into trouble they hit rock bottom and cry out to god and he saves them and they turn back to god until they get comfortable until they have everything they need, they're they're fine, and pretty soon their mindset is, "Hey, look at how good we are. We're we're awesome. Look at what we have done." And then God's like, "Okay, we'll see how good you are." And now they're back to being slaves and and occupied, and it's just up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And this last one, though, in Nehemiah, he's saying, "Because all this, we make a sure covenant." and write it, and our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. So how do you how do you stop the roller coaster of you hit rock bottom? God, I'll do anything. I'll do whatever you say. Get me out of this problem or whatever it is. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the the we hit rock bottom, and then God helps us out. And what do we do? As the dog returns to his vomit, we go right back to it. But the answer here is to write it We make a covenant and write it. And it's, I guess I just speak from personal experience going through the foundations, which you haven't heard the foundation podcast. That's the very first episode in our series. I would go back and take a listen and, and take notes. But I, I look at that every day and I go through these foundations of, okay, God is smarter than me. He knows the end from the beginning. I am going to stand before him someday. And just I go through each of those steps there to remind myself of eternal rewards versus earthly rewards. Am I feeling stressed or or feel like I'm really persecuted or I'm really suffering for is is it real or am I coveting something? And that's a whole different topics, but we don't even know what suffering is. I'm including myself. I don't know what suffering is compared to what the, what Nehemiah is talking about with the the Israelites, but that, you know, we petition God and then he helps and then we forget about it. So the answer is to write it. We've talked about writing the, the Bible down. The Kings did. God commanded the Kings to write a copy of the law so that they would stay focused on him. And so write down and, and read it. It's like your, your own personal manifesto of keeping you on track. If you're driving in a car, how long can you look away from the road without expecting to crash, to be, to be off course? It's seconds, mere seconds and you're off track. So having this written foundation, this written manifesto can help you, uh, help prevent you from being led astray or getting comfortable or setting your affection on earthly things instead of on things above. So I thought that was a fun little anecdote that in Nehemiah's Josiah moment, and he, he's not saying, Hey, I've done all this good stuff. You owe me, you, uh, I'm cashing in on because I'm good and I'm awesome. You need to do this for me. That's not his response. It's we have done wickedly. You're right. We're wrong. And he recounts the sins of the fathers of the generations. And it's amazing to see the mindset of Nehemiah and Josiah. And then at all those compared to today. 
and even in even in my own life, how we're viewing life and trouble and stress compared to what does God think about it? It's sad. We are so blessed with, I mean, just to take so many things for granted. Like one is the word of God, obviously. I mean, you can get that virtually at any store. I mean, you can get it for a dollar at the dollar store or there's Bible societies that will get you a free copy, but no one reads it. But yet these third world countries that don't have one, they're the ones that are starving to get the word. And we complain when we have to wait for 15 minutes for them to get at a fast drive through chicken place to get the chicken. We complain that we can't, we don't have the latest cell phone. And it's like, we've got so many blessings and so many distractions that we aren't thankful for miracles, really. I had a really bad near-death experience about 30 years ago, and occasionally I still thank the Lord for saving me from that because that was an ex- extremely, I mean, my boys wouldn't be here if I was gone that had died during that. And so there's, we we have to sit back sometimes and just thank the Lord for, I mean, clean water, clean clothes. The fact that we have more than one set of clothes. If you look through the Bible, they only had one set of clothes and they talk about they rent their clothes. I mean, that was that was a huge thing. So there, that showed the emotional distress that they were in because of, you know, like I said, the, the or like you were saying, that they, they found the word, but they realized that they were ignoring God. And to thank God for all of these things that we have, I mean, the list could just keep going on and on and on. And so why do we do that? Why do we forget the blessings that we have? Yeah, that is a whole... I mean, I put a big thing in my room. I listed all the stuff from 150 years ago, I think. Could be about 100 years ago. We go back 150 years ago, listed all the stuff that we have now that we didn't have then for like 5,000 years. Internet, electricity, indoor plumbing, a washer, a dryer, and just on and on and on and on. How were those people even surviving? How did how could they live without Wi-Fi? How could they survive without Starbucks? I can't live until I have my well what I mean, just step back. What are we living for here? How much is earthly affections instead of affections on things above? Uh, kind of getting off track, but it's so true and it's actually the pattern that Nehemiah was talking about they get comfortable they get and now it's it's not you you just step back for a moment and think if you're stressed if you're sad or depressed or unhappy or whatever just take a moment no distractions get out a piece of paper and say I would be happy if and write down what would that be I would be happy if I had a bigger house had a better car if my wife did this, if my husband did this, if my kids would do this, I would be happy if, and just transport that back 150 years ago. Does it still, does it still, would it be the same? People back then, if someone be happy if I had water for more than today, instead of having to go get water every single day, I have to go get, are we going to eat tomorrow? I don't know. I got to go see if I can hunt something. Uh, you know, crops failed. Well, now what are we going to do? where we have a seller of food or a store you can get we have so much to be thankful for and we want more it's coveting is guess what it comes down to but that's another podcast nathan did there was a the boy scouts had a 100 year anniversary and they brought back these merit badges for a year and one of them what was the one where you had to Go to the different farms, and you had to know which farms had which animals so that if you wanted eggs or meat or chickens, you had to have that map to be able to survive. Do you remember what the name of that rare badge was? Pathfinding. I wonder if pathfinding was the one because you had to know the way to get to. I'll look it up. Yeah, you can't just you couldn't just go to the grocery store and buy eggs. You had to find the farm 
that had eggs, if you could do eggs. We're spoiled. But yes, we have so many blessings. But yet, the question is, when is it enough? It seems like the older we get, at least for us, that we've passed the point of enough for the most part to where now it's like we're trimming back down. But this spiritual aspect, and this is, okay, now we're trying to catch up on the Bible that we should have been studying and memorizing and everything before, seems like we're in that period of our age where the spirituality is more important to us. Right. And I was, uh, and I'm trying to step back and say, okay, what, if I could go back and tell myself something, you know, back in my youth, what could have been said that would have made a difference, if anything? And even talking about the Israelites now, because that's more, more personal level, but the Israelites, it's like, what could you say to them when they have everything they need and life is good if you measure it by the world and all that? And they and God sent them the prophets to tell them, no, you need to turn back to God. And they wouldn't until they hit rock bottom. So it's like, what what could be said to someone who has seemingly everything or had, doesn't have need of anything and just look at it at a personal level. What could have been said way back when that would have made a difference for for the next 20 or 30 years? And it all goes back to the word which uh, and our response to it, which I guess kind of brings us to the next Josiah moment. This is Hezekiah. This is Isaiah chapter 37. And it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and the elders, the priests, covered with sackcloth unto Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and of blasphemy, for the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. It may be that the Lord God will hear the words of Rabshakim, whom the king of Assyria has his master has sent to reproach the living God and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that is left. So here, Hezekiah, in the context here, if you read the chapter before, so basically the Assyrians came and said, we're going to kill you unless you come serve us. And he had his moment of, I'm about to die. I am going to go petition the Lord sackcloth and ashes and he calls for Isaiah and you can read that whole section there and it's an excellent prayer that it just shows he's at rock bottom and he's reaching out for God and that's the right response that's how it should always be should be that every day before we hit rock bottom and then maybe we wouldn't hit rock bottom if we did that so let's go to the New Testament now, and let's see some instances of Josiah moments. This is in Luke chapter 7, and we'll start at verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, talking about Jesus, and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, whom she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box appointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. They gavest me no water for my feet but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. 
my head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee, go in peace. Uh, this is this woman's Josiah moment. And I just, you're trying to picture yourself there. She had the right response. And do you think there's anything if Jesus said, okay, I appreciate that you're repentant. I want you to go do this. Do you think there's anything at that moment that that woman would have said, no, I, I don't want to do that. Her heart was was right. She had the right response of what what sin was to God. And I should also point out, you know, the Pharisees, he ate with sinners. That's what they talked about a lot. Well, what was, what was he doing with the sinner? She was repentant. It wasn't, Hey, you got to love me. I'm sinning a whole bunch and you just got to love me anyway. No, he was she was repentant. She was weeping and he forgave her for that. And yet the Pharisee here, was he also a sinner or was he perfect? He was a sinner. We're all sinners, every one of us. But see, the Pharisee's sin, he didn't think it was that. I'm not as much of a sinner as, as this lady here. If you do this, imagine our view of sin, the world's view of sin is usually in light of someone else. Well, I don't, I haven't murdered anybody. I've convicted. No, I haven't been convicted. It's, well, I'm not nearly as bad as it. You know what that preacher did over there? He did. It's always comparing someone else. Whereas this woman, was she the worst sinner there was in Israel? I doubt it by the world standard. One sin, one is enough to separate you from God forever. One, but our mindset to it. We, until we hit rock bottom, like this woman did, we're like, I'm good. I mean, I'm a nice guy. I'm, I'm okay. No, our sin, we've sinned against a holy, just, righteous God who has, as was read in the other passage, given us more than our, our less than our iniquities deserved is what I think it was Nehemiah that was saying that. So it says to whom, when, when Jesus is talking about to me forgive much, then there's more love. If you forgive little, then the same loveth little. Well, it's more about your your measurement of how you measure your sin against a holy God. If you don't think it's that big of a deal, then you're just going to be like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll I'll take Jesus' payment on the cross because you know it wasn't much. I I, I only sinned a little bit, so you know, one is all it takes. So that woman had an amazing Josiah moment. Now let's contrast this with, uh, let's go to Luke chapter nine and we'll start at 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first bid, go bid them farewell, which are at home in my house. And Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Do, do those people sound like they were at their Josiah moment? Or was it just, oh, hey, this is this is popular. This is, this is kind of cool. Yeah, I'll follow you. Yeah, here's what you got to give up. Like the rich young rulers. And they went away sad that they hadn't hit rock bottom. Like the woman that was weeping and anointing Jesus' feet. Now let's go to Luke chapter 18. I know we've mentioned this one before, but it's right in the right in the context here. I will go to verse 9 of chapter 18. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican, Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. 
Now, this is interesting. I think they didn't remove that one on fasting. Is that interesting? That's not an instruction. That's him boasting about his fasting. And that is exactly the type of fasting that God doesn't want. That was like the sacrifice. The sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were, there was no, not repentance, but remorsefulness of their sin. It was just like, oh, we can do this. Okay, we'll, we'll just kill this sheep and then we'll be taken care of. It's kind of like an indulgence type of thing. There was no repentance. He's like, look, I fast twice a week. He was like, well, for who? And God was saying, you don't even fast for me. Did any of those fast? Were they for me? For 70 years in Jeremiah talks about that. He didn't fast for me. For seven, They fasted, but now. Yeah, that's. Yeah, if there's no spiritual aspect and you fast, whoop de do. Yeah, so they they keep that in here because it's the Pharisee talking about fasting, and it's got a bad connotation. So therefore, they'll leave that one in, but they won't put in the one saying you should and how you should. Well, well, yeah, the the I mean, there was no spiritual warfare going on necessarily with what he was doing, and right. here the other ones are talking about. There's something spiritual going on with the fasting. It wasn't just missing meal. Yeah, he had a he had a checkbox. Yeah. I fast twice in the week. Twice in a week. I mean, that's that's amazing. That's a lot. Hundred times a year he's fasting, and we we fast how many times? I mean, so that's why when Jesus said, "Except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees," I mean, that's the. And then the verse continues, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased and he that humble himself shall be exalted. So which one had a Josiah moment in that, in that account, the parable that Jesus was giving one sin is, is all it takes. And then uh, we have another Josiah moment. Now this is this is probably the best the best one we could look at. This is Luke chapter twenty two. We'll start at verse thirty nine. And he came out. This is talking about Jesus. And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him, being in agony. He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And said unto them, Why sleepy? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. So here is a, and Jesus is praying and just is at that Josiah moment, that level where his sweat was as it were great drops of blood. Have we been in that point where our agony, our stress, our, our, fear our situation is where we're sweating as it were drops of blood but his response is if there's any way that that this cup can pass but not my will but thine be done so he, he didn't stop at god get me out of this get me out of this you look look at all this trouble that we're having and this is what's about to happen you got to get me out of this it was followed with not my will but thine be done that that's the right prayer that's God, God help our unbelief. So there's a lot of other Josiah moments. I just, I picked several of those and just seeing people's response. And a lot of times it's something earthly is happening. There's a trouble army surrounding and there's prayer like in, in Hezekiah. But sometimes it's, wow, we read this book and we've sinned against God. So in that instance, for Josiah, it wasn't that they were in trouble or some army was going to overtake him. It was their response to, we sinned against God. And so you have these different kinds of Josiah moments where it's either a physical earthly thing or an eternal one. And there should be 
this sense of, I mean, God is real. So we're, how much have you been forgiven? How much have I been forgiven? How, why do we have to wait for our Josiah moment before we give everything to God? Say, whatever you want, God, here I am. Not my will, but thine be done. Don't wait for a Josiah moment to do that. Do it now so that it might even prevent a Josiah moment from happening. It might prevent hitting rock bottom if you're focused on God. Uh, rock bottom from the world standards. It doesn't mean you're never going to face persecution or tribulation or things like that. I'm not saying that at all. It's almost the opposite of those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution is what it says. So it's getting the mindset where it's about God. It's not about me. It's about God. And don't wait for your Josiah moment. You can have it right now if your understanding of your standing before God and any sin that you have or just who are you living for? Are you living for God? Are you living for yourself? Are you living for your spouse? Are you living for your kids? Is is this for God? Are your affections on heaven above? And this this is why I write it down and I look at it every day because I, I don't want to get to the Josiah moment, at least at the point that they have, oh, I'm going to have it now. I mean, I want to have the moment of repentance and getting right with God before I'm surrounded by uncircumcised Philistines and, and so on. All right, Steve, you want to close us in prayer? Nelly, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word and dig into it a little bit. And, and hopefully it will help us all to appreciate what you've given us, put it into perspective as to into our lives as to what's real and what's not. And, and uh, just help us to understand it. And thank you for being so gracious and patience with us and that we can come back to you. Um, we thank you in Jesus name. I pray. Amen. Amen.